Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Psalm chapter 19, we will enter into a mini-series just about the five distinctives here at Grace Community Church. It's important that we, you know, every time that we complete a, a book study, which is our practice, has been for quite a few years now, a decade and a half, that we'll go Old Testament, usually, New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament. And then in between those book studies where we go through an entire book, uh, usually chapter by chapter, verse by verse, then we'll focus on why do we do this? Because we understand, we realize there are many people coming from many different backgrounds. And why is this important? Why is this a distinctive for us here at Grace Community Church that at the heart of everything is Christ-centered preaching? So whether we're in the Old Testament or New Testament, we're preaching Jesus because that's what the Bible preaches. It preaches Christ. It preaches a Redeemer. And all the way back to Genesis Third chapter, sin enters the world, and we have a problem, and right there, Genesis 3.15, God reveals, I have a plan from before the foundation of the world to send you a redeemer. I will buy you back. I will purchase you. And so when we focus upon the word of God, we do so believing that God's word is a priority for us that will not return void. Isaiah says it this way, it came up. Many of us are reading through the Bible together through this year, and it came up in our reading. I believe it was this morning, if you read this morning. Isaiah 55 and verse 10 says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. This is a guarantee from the Lord that his word, when we are focused on his word, when I invest my life laboring around the word, obeying the word and delivering the word to his people, we are never wasting our time. So it's never, the metrics are never, how did people respond to the message? The metric is, was the messenger faithful to the message? And let the Lord be sovereign, and he is, over the results, over the harvest, over the fruit that comes. So here we are in Psalm 19. It's a well-loved Psalm of David. In this Psalm, David, the psalmist, is praising God for his creation. He's praising God for his word, and he's praising God for the righteous effect that the glory of God had upon his life. It is quite possible that this passage was penned when David was on the run from King Saul. It happened several times that Saul was ready to kill him and searching him out. Even though David was the chosen king, he was to be the next king in line, but it wasn't time for him to take the throne. So he had to wait on the Lord. He had to learn to trust the Lord practically. Not just, you know, write a wonderful psalm. He had to then apply that psalm in his life, waiting on the Lord, 
knowing and trusting that God is always, maybe you've heard this message, always working for our good and for his glory. In every situation, all things. Here's David. He's a shepherd boy. As a shepherd boy, he spent much time out under the stars, out there with the sheep. He learned to worship out there. He learned to be a good steward of his father's sheep. He learned to stand and defend them against the bear and against the lion. He learned to trust in the Lord. And as he was out there on the hillside, in the Bethlehem hillsides, outside of Jerusalem, he learned to know the glory of God, the greatness, the majesty, the beauty, the splendor of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 8 says, I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. God is the only one who can rightly say, I will not share my glory with anything false. And yet we're made in his image. We saw this in our vacation Bible school this year. We're created in the image of God. Therefore, we have intrinsic value. Every person, preborn to the elderly, those with full capabilities and those who have severe disabilities, they're still made in the image of God and they bear value intrinsically, which is different than extrinsically. How much are, what's your profile? How much is in your bank? What's your, what's your, you know, your, all of that, your repute, your reputation. Intrinsic value doesn't go up and down with the stock market because you're made in the image of God. And David learned the glory of God. He learned to worship. He was transformed by the glory of God. And loved ones, if and when we are encountering the glory of God, when we come into full reality of who God is and how glorious he is, we're not left the same. We're changed. We're transformed. We're changed, as Paul writes, from glory to glory, which is that unbreakable chain of salvation that we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will one day be glorified. The work will be completed, saved. So today, let's look at this together. Transformed by the glory of God. That's the heart of this psalm, Psalm 19. Follow along there in your Bibles. I'll read aloud. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. 
The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word today. If we're going to be transformed by the glory of God, then there's, we need to understand what the psalmist delivers here. First of all, look at this. The glory of God is displayed in creation. And we see this in the first six verses. And this is what is known as general revelation. This is general revelation, that God's glory is displayed in creation. I forget if it was last night or if it was the night before, walking outside, looking up, and there are the stars. I don't think it was last night. I think it was cloud cover. But just all of the stars. Ladies, you're going up to Lake Ann. You walk out at night up there in the north, and there's a very little pollution up there, and you just see the stars. And we're just in amazement. This is the glory of God. He's displayed it in his creation. And this is general revelation. This is to all humanity. We see this in space. The psalmist talks about this, that the heavens declare the power and the greatness of our God. Think about outer space, how little we know about this. We were talking this week about the oceans, how little they've discovered about the depths of the ocean and what is is down there. And how intimidating it is to go so low, let alone going out to outer space. I, I, that, that would freak me out. Like just being, it's bad enough being in an airplane, but outer space, if something goes wrong, you're not, can I get a ride? There's no, who's coming for you, right? And yet the Lord is there. You're right about that. <laughs> Lord, coming, coming home right now. Consider this. It surpasses human ability to ascertain its boundaries. How great is our God? Is it possible for you to observe the stars and not be overwhelmed that the Creator knows them by name? And yet He cares about you? Like, just think about that. Can you enjoy God's creation and not acknowledge the creator many people do i would say most people do they're out in nature but they miss the one who created it all instead they call it mother nature mother nature mother nature no it's god the creator romans 1 and verse 20 paul writes for his invisible attributes namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been not exploded into being loved ones they haven't evolved into evolved into being they were made 
And then Paul applies this truth to say, so therefore, they are, like Psalm 19, without excuse. You have witnessed his handiwork. The psalmist moves from space to sky. What's closer to us, the heavens above, the sky above, the Hebrew word talks about the expanse. You know, you look out and you can see the expanse of the horizon. It's all that is visible. And the psalmist says, this is just the work of God's hands. We were at the campsite this last week next to us. It was just a, a, a young girl and she was just doing artwork. Uh, even our family, they went out and got some rocks and got some paints and they were just doing little paints on rocks and different things. Just their handiwork. But no one's going to admire that. God's handiwork is space and the heavens. Oh yeah, I just did that in a day. I just threw that together. That's just the work of my fingers. There you go. Check that out. And he's given it to all mankind for our benefit, for our appreciation, our exploration and enjoyment. As the earth rotates around the sun, it constantly, the sun is shining and reveals God's glory. And we are called as humanity to be good stewards. We're not to worship creation. We're not to worship Mother Earth or even celebrate, you know, too extensively Earth Day because we worship the Creator, not what is created. There's a big difference. He moves then on from space to sky to speech. And he says, day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. That day and night are joined together just like the flowing tide, just wave by wave. And it's a sunrise and a sunset and it's dawn and dusk. And it's just, it's constantly in this motion. They're joined together in succession, displaying God's glory that the daylight hands off to the moonlight and moonlight hands off to the daylight. And we just witness it day by day by day, declaring the glory of God, the glory of God, the glory of God. And you can see it in the day and you see it at night, the glory of God, the glory of God, the glory of God. The psalmist here, he says that the heavens, they're diligent preachers, that night and day, they never are ceasing to show forth wisdom. He says here that the heavens are learned preachers, that without words, they declare the glory of God to every language. This is a visual preaching instead of verbal, but he's using this, this where he's giving these abilities to creation that they're preaching, they're proclaiming, that you are small and someone is greater than you, look at their handiwork. Look at what this creator has done. The heavens are universal preachers to every corner of the earth. Their testimony is brought. God's glorious. He's glorious. Look at what he has done. So it doesn't matter where you go from a metropolitan city to a jungle in the middle of nowhere, they witness the glory of God. And it doesn't matter what language you speak or if your language is sounds, the heavens are declaring, they're preaching the glory of God. That's why no matter where you travel, people are driven to worship. And when they don't know the creator God, they make up gods. They carve out gods. They cut down trees. And like, the, like it says in Isaiah and it says in the Psalm, and they take from a piece of wood and they carve out a god and then they burn the, the, what they didn't use for the god on the fire and they make their meal. They warm themselves over that. Or a metal worker, he carves it all out and he creates a god that can't do anything. It's just a representation of false worship of, dem of demons. 
And before we're too quickly looking down our nose at those other nations and we can see their idols, what easily becomes a focus, a center of worship in our lives in this country, often it's our own pleasure, enjoyment, entertainment. And we will sacrifice everything to get there, be there, and do it. Which is different than resting, Sabbath, enjoying the Lord, but we're always mindful, am I honoring the Lord? Am I glorifying God with what I'm doing in every day, especially on the Lord's day? The psalmist was careful about this. C.H. Spurgeon, he says it this way. He said, no man living beneath the copes of heaven dwells beyond the bounds of the diocese of God's court preachers. It is easy to escape from the light of ministers who are as stars in the right hand of the Son of Man. He takes that out of Revelation. But even then, men with a conscience yet unseared will find a Nathan to accuse them, a Jonah to warn them, and Elijah to threaten them in the silent stars of the night. Preaching. Then the psalmist takes us to the sun, that the sun in them he has set, it says in verse four, a tent for the sun. He made a backdrop. The sun, that the heavens and the firmament are set as a tabernacle for the sun. The largest body here in our universe, the splendor of the sun is its light. And the psalmist is saying here that God has established a throne for the sun in the heavens. And he's using an analogy that would have been familiar to the Hebrew people that when a bride and groom, fitting, that when they would prepare, the groom would come out. A lot of our emphasis is on the bride, but in the Hebrew culture, it was on the groom and there would be a tent over him. There would be people holding poles and over him would be this banner, would be this, this tabernacle as he would be coming to take his bride. Sadly, the sun has often now become the center of worship where people worship the sun. When I was in India and Isaac took us, and he's doing very well, by the way, keep praying for him, but he's not gonna need chemo, their latest update. He's not gonna need further, he needs physical therapy, but he's thanking God, he's praising God. So when I was there with him, five o'clock in the morning, uh, in that group on the Ganges River, and there were people all along that shore what they believe there in India, that sacred water, and there they were, and the sun was in their gaze, lifting water, worshiping the sun. And Isaac and his team are there to say, can we introduce you to the maker of the sun? The sun can't help you. It'll blind you, but it, it'll burn you, but it can't help you. It can't save you. And there they are faithfully preaching the word of God. I took this picture last week. Lake Huron went out I actually got up early enough to go out and see the sunrise. Two days in a row, huh? How about that? Uh, this was Thursday morning. Just watching, and there I am, and I realize, again, knowing this message is coming, I'm in awe of the sun and its beauty, but even more so, the one who created it, put it right where it needs to be, and it's still there, generations later. That sun is the same sun that David on the hillside would be waiting for to come up to warm him up, get rid of the dew, thaw out his clothes, 
It's the same son. We're, we're worshiping the same God, Old Testament and New Testament. The speed of the sun's light traveling over 95 million miles to reach the earth takes eight minutes and 12 seconds. Some of you try to drive that fast? You better not. The strange and miraculous heat of the sun, nothing is hidden from it. Everything is benefited by it. The sun, the moon, the stars, they all declare the glory of God and they should all leave us in wonder and in awe. They should all preach to us, if I can't look at the sun full on, how will I stand in the presence of the one who made the sun if he doesn't make a way for me to stand there? I can't. Are we listening to this preaching? This preaching is general. It's displayed in creation. And it just says there is a creator and it's not you and it's not me. We try to make things about us. It's all about me, but it's not. And that son was in place when David was alive and that son will be in place probably, most likely, after I'm long gone, held by the word of God. But that just leaves us in awe. It leaves us feeling helpless. It leaves us condemned. It leaves us insufficient. We need something more. And this is where David moves in this psalm in the next verses in 7 to 11, that God's gl glory is declared in Scripture. This is special revelation. This is specific revelation. This is where we can know the one who created this God. This is why Christianity is all about education and language and hospitals so that wherever we go, we are able to heal, help, keep people alive, teach them to read, teach them their language, and give them the Bible in their language. Because you need to know this God. You have seen his handiwork, but you don't know him yet. And the only way to be reconciled to this God is through the son that he sent as savior to the world. And that won't ever come from the sun, moon, and stars. The galaxies won't preach that. That has to come through specific, through special revelation, through his word. And so the writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews chapter one and verse one, long ago. Here he's talking about the Old Testament. At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. There's the Old Testament. Verse two, but in these last days. You hear people talking about, oh, we're living in the last days. The last days began when Jesus ascended and the Spirit came. There was never a point, and there's never been a point in the church that they thought, oh, it's a long time out. They have always lived that Jesus can return at any moment. So the writer says, in these last days, now he's speaking of New Testament, he has spoken to us by his Son. So now he's focused on, and the whole book is about Jesus, whom he appointed the heir of all things. It's hard for me not to preach a whole message on these two verses. This is where it's all going to Jesus, through whom, Jesus, he also created the world. It was through him, by him, for him, it's all going to him. Now you can come back to why we have Christ-centered preaching at the heart of this church and everything we do. Because that alone, he alone is worthy. 
And that's what the writer of Hebrews says, and he just moves through the entire book of Hebrews preaching Jesus is better, Jesus is worthy, Jesus is the one we need. Warren Wearsby says, the way we treat the Bible is the way we treat Jesus, for the Bible is his word to us. Can we just think about that? How would I treat Jesus if he was to walk in here today? How do I know? It's how I've treated his word this week. Because he is the living word, the logos. He's the word made flesh. And this is his word, and it's all about him. So loved ones, I can't separate. Well, I'm really busy. I don't have time for the word. I just don't, you know, I'll get around to it. This is his word. This, this tells me about Jesus. So I cannot rightly say, and honestly say, without being a hypocrite, I love Jesus but I don't have time and I don't regard and I don't love his word. There's an inconsistency there. There's a hypocrisy there that is exposed. Our first distinctive is this, Christ-centered preaching, proclaiming the authority of God's word, and we don't apologize for it. We're not here to negotiate the word of God. We're here to preach it. And that's not just for me, the preacher. That's for all of us, that everywhere we go, we are lights in this present darkness. We're his hands. We're his feet. So in every way, and it came out in our New City Catechism today, when you're kind and you encourage a waiter or waitress instead of criticize them and, you know, cut them down and short tip them, when you hold a door for somebody instead of just minding your own and not paying attention, if you see it, and I see it as, I'm not doing this to earn God's favor, but I want to be his hands and feet practically in the lives of people around me. I want them to say, what? and where does this most vividly shine through? It's when we suffer. When we're suffering and we're asking and we are proclaiming the faithfulness and goodness of God, that is what gets people's attention. And they say, what gives? Yeah. You're suffering and you're not fake. You're authentic, you're grieving, you're, you're sorrowing, but you have joy. How do you have this joy? And people ask that question. God's word, loved ones, is absolutely unique. It's distinct from every other book. In these verses, the psalmist gives a description. He gives a title, a description, and an effect that goes along with the, the title. Uh, he says that the scripture is perfect, converting the soul in verse 7. That's, that, it's the law of the Lord. That's the title. It's It's perfect. The law of the Lord is God's standard for man's conduct. He just doesn't make us walk through blindly. Well, I didn't know that was wrong. I, what's right? What's wrong? He tells us. Scripture is perfect, converting the soul. 2 Timothy 3, 16, Paul writes, all Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Why? What's the purpose? That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 
we're right back at the point of him, him saving us and giving us his word so that we are changed by his glory, by his spirit, and we make a difference. And that's when the works are actually good because he's doing it through us. The law is perfect. The word perfect, it's the translation of a common Hebrew word meaning whole or complete or sufficient. It conveys the idea of something that is comprehensive in nature, covering everything necessary to one's spiritual life. It stands in stark contrast to man's knowledge, our own knowledge, our own abilities. What scripture gives us perfect. What's the effect of the law of the Lord, which is perfect? It is converting the soul. It's restoring the soul from the the decay of sin. It completely transforms the whole inner person. All things, Paul says, have become new. Not some. When you come to know Christ, he changes everything from the inside out. So scripture is perfect converting the soul. It is also trustworthy, imparting wisdom. We see this also in verse 7. The title here is the testimony of the Lord. It's a witness. It's God's self-disclosure. The history is his story. And so he tells us the record. The description of the testimony of the Lord is that it is sure It's faithful, it builds up, it supports, it nurtures, it's firm, it's trustworthy. It is trustworthy. The scriptures are trustworthy to build one's life on and eternal destiny. Can I ask you the question, what else do you have that is a sure thing that is guaranteed? What plan can we make for today or tomorrow that we can say, I guarantee you that what? I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. James says, don't do that. If the Lord wills, I'll do this. And if the Lord wills, I'll do that. I'll make a plan, but I'm not God and I can't make the plan happen. But I'll plan under his sovereignty and my responsibility and I'll trust him with the outcome. His testimony is sure. What's the effect of this testimony? Making wise the simple. It opens a door. It's wise unto salvation. It, it closes the door. You know, you hear people, you just need to have an open mind. Have an open mind. Have an open mind, open mind, open mind. Not about everything. The scripture closes your mind to some things. As we grow up in the word of God, we don't buy all of the sales pitches that come from everywhere. We say, hang on a second. Let me test what you are saying. Let me test what you are teaching. Let me test what you believe according to what does the Bible say. And I'm not going to go with your experience. I'm not going to go with your feelings or mine. I'm going to go with what does the Bible say, and I can build my life on the Word of God. That's my only safe place and your only safe place for this life and for eternity. Scripture is also, the psalmist says, it is right. The precepts of the Lord are right, causing joy. That the Lord, he he cared, he visited, he took notice of. The appointments ordered by the Lord for man to keep, the precepts, the doctrine, the teaching, 
The psalmist says in Psalm 119, 97, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. I just think on your word. Can we say that with the psalmist? Do we aspire that? Is that our desire? Can we be honest about that? The precepts of the Lord. The precepts are right, as in the right path instead of the wrong path, as in straight, upright, correct, level, pleasing. They're right. And what is the, uh, uh, the effect, the result of the precepts of the Lord are right? Rejoicing the heart. That we, we know what he expects, we walk in that way, and we know the joy of obedience, of a clear conscience, of cleanliness in our lives. And that gives us a joy. Knowing what is right and pursuing the right course in life through obedience to the word of God that is where when the Apostle John says, I have no greater joy than to hear my children walk in the truth. Oh, I just love to hear that. I'm in a group text with the first pastor that hired us in Illinois and a bunch of other guys. I don't even know all of them in the text that have worked with them in ministry. And every Sunday uh, today, well, the old man is gonna get up and talk about Jesus today. That's what the text came in. All the young guys you know, responding back in. What is that? That's just, I have no greater joy than to hear these guys, wherever they are now and have grown on in life and gone to different places, boys, do what you were taught to do. Tell the people about Jesus and the goodness of God and the joy that that gives an older man in ministry. Scripture is pure. Our fourth description here, enlightening the eyes. The commandment of the Lord. This is what the Lord has ordained or mandated for man to do and what not to do. It's not optional, it's not a suggestion. The commandment of the Lord is pure. It's not polluted, it's clear, it's translucent. That is, it makes dark things clear. It's the sincere milk of the word. It's pure. And an enlightening it's enlightening to the eyes. It gives light. It helps us see the exceeding sinfulness of sin, our need for redemption, so that we can fully love God and fully love people the way the Lord would have us. It brings understanding where there's ignorance. It brings order where there's confusion. And it brings light where there is spiritual and moral darkness. This is what the word of the Lord does. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Have you experienced that as you have grown in Christ and as you, have sit, as you sit under the word, as you read the word, as you study the word, you meditate, that you grow and that your eyes, you're able to see things that you used to miss. Enlightening the eyes. The fifth description, scripture is clean, enduring forever. The fear of the Lord, God's word is a manual on worship and reverence to the Lord, the fear of the Lord. This awe, this reverence, this respect, this honor. The fear is clean, it's cleansing, it's free from filthiness and decay. There's no vile or unhealthy effects taken in the word of God. I don't know if you live where the boil order was affecting you this last week, but that's a concern, right? Don't take in water that has something in it you can't handle. You'll get sick. 
When we were in India, Isaac told us that first night, we are providing for you Americans water. When you take a shower, don't open your mouth. Just keep it shut. We can handle it. You can't. Here's water. It's clean. Won't hurt you. This is the word of God. Teaching of man that veers from the word of God, that alters the word of God, that adjusts it, that perverts it, that'll hurt you. A drop of poison in a cup of water ruins the water. Well, I know the word of God says, but watch out, beware. Exodus 20 and verse 20, Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you. Hang on a second, Moses. You just told us, do not fear. Okay, thank you. For God has come to test you. Why? That the fear of him may be before you. Why would he give us this fear that is healthy fear? That you may not sin. Okay, don't run and hide from this God and run away into your sinfulness and rebellion. Come to him in awe and reverence and get to know him through his word. He's revealed himself. He's made a way for you. Know him and live in awe and reverence. And you know what it will lead to in your life and my life? Holiness. That we'll hate our sin and we'll love Jesus. The effect is enduring forever. It's permanent leading to everlasting life, perpetuating worship that will never end. Filthiness brings decay. Salt in Michigan, yeah, it rusts our cars, ruins them. But cleanliness brings incorruptibility. Scripture has always been, is, and will always be sufficient. And Jesus says, Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And how many people are living for that first line? Heaven, earth, earth. I have to have, I have to get, I need, I want. And Jesus is saying, there's something more important. It's my word. My words will not pass away. The sixth description is, tr scripture is true. Altogether righteous in verse 9. The title here, the psalmist gives the rules, the just decrees of the Lord. As the divine judge, it is God's regulations, his decisions. It's what he has pronounced to be proper and right. The Bible is God's standard for judging the life and eternal destiny of every single person. The rules. The rules are true, taken separately or corporately. God's judgments are manifestly pure and righteous. They're true. There's no error. There's no falsehood. They're righteous altogether. The actions of the Lord, the divine judge, are just and produce comprehensive righteousness. It's true. God's word is of incomparable value, we see in verse 10. It's unique, and he describes its uniqueness. 
No other book like this. It's incomparable value. So then he uses some greater than, less than, some mathematical, some descriptions. How much value, of how much value is the word of God? Scripture, he says, is more valuable than gold. Even much fine gold. You know, I'll take it up. Here's some gold. Scripture is more valuable than that. But what if I had a lot, I have a lot of fine gold? It's better than that. Most men would choose wealth, forfeiting heaven and everlasting life. But the psalmist is saying that the word of God is to be desired more than riches, more than wealth, more than fame, because all of that is temporary. It's temporal. You have it for a little while, and it's gone. But God's word is eternal. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 16, 26. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? What is your soul worth? What do you prioritize? What do you value? What is most important to you? Well, how do I know, Pastor? Look in your checkbook. Look on your calendar. Look at where you are, what you do, what you talk about, what you love. Is it of eternal value or temporal value? And when we're talking about people, people are of eternal value. But the conversations that we have with People who are living this one short life can be earthy, earthly, temporary, or eternal. The weather, the economy, politics, it's all temporal unless we turn it to the eternal, to the spiritual. That's what we need. That's why we're here. It's better than gold, even fine gold, much fine gold. God's word is sweeter than honey and then he says and even the, the drippings from the honeycomb that honeycomb untouched by air it's the finest and he says god's word is better than that it's hard to surpass something so fine i just i remember in montana there was a, a neighbor lady a block over and we went and visit her his little dog and she had honeycomb and I went with my dad, and we would go, and she would just go into her kitchen, open that cabinet, and pull out a little thing, and there was honeycomb, and she would cut off a piece. That was the first time I ever had honeycomb, and I was a little kid thinking, what is this? Until I tasted it. I was like, let's go visit her again. That's good stuff. I've been addicted to honey my whole life now, thanks to that lady. And the psalmist says, Scripture is better than that. It's sweeter God's word, loved ones, is our manual for life. We see this in verse 11. It provides correction and it provides instruction. It warns us of what not to do. It instructs us of what we are to do. Correction for areas in my life, in your life of disobedience. Disobedience brings guilt and punishment. But instruction where we can obey gives confidence and a great reward. Correction and instruction, which sounds so similar to what Paul said. All scripture. We read that already. And this is what John, the apostle in 1 John 5, 3, he says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. God loves this. 
and his commandments are not burdensome. And that's what we love. Well, why do we love to keep his commandments? Because we love God. Well, why do you love God? Because he loved me first. It's not, it's not rooted and grounded in fear. It's not rooted and grounded in what are people going to think of me? If I do this, if I do that, if I do the other, are they watching? Are they thinking, what about them? What? That doesn't, that's not our number one priority. It's, is this pleasing to God? If I go here, if I do this, if I say this, if I think this, if my attitude, my motive, Lord, is this pleasing to you because you love me? And so if I am motivated by love to obey, it's very different than motivated by fear and guilt and shame. Loved ones, God's glory is displayed in creation. It's declared in scripture. And in the final verses of this psalm, we see that God's glory it demands a right response. It doesn't leave us uh, riding the fence, both and. It calls us to the valley of decision. And the psalmist here then has a prayer. He pleads with the Lord. He lays out his righteous desire to respond to the glory of God. And so my encouragement for us today is in these last, in this prayer, this response, is that we just take David's prayer and we use it and we pray it and we keep it before our, our minds and our hearts in our lives. And if we make his prayer our prayer, this is what he's praying. He's saying, Lord, cleanse me from secret sins. The more exposure we have to light, leads to more understanding and revelation of our own sinfulness. Listen, if you have everything darked, you walk in, the place looks good. Oh, hang on. Let's open the blinds, turn on the lights. Whoa, there's a person sleeping here. I didn't see them. It's dark. Okay, it, light doesn't make it dirty. Light reveals, and that is one thing that really bothers me, is when the sun is shining in a room, and you're like, I'm breathing fine until I see all the dust when the sun hits. And I'm like, oh, no, where's the mask? Bring back the mask right now. I need it. You know, purifiers running everywhere. Just, I'm breathing that? It's not good. Light reveals the problem. It doesn't make me the problem. It shows me the problem. You go to the dentist, you go to the operating room, they have intense lights. Why? Because they don't want to be in the dark in anything that they're doing inside of us. They want to see it all well. So the psalmist is saying, Lord, cleanse me from my secret sins. Every person is depraved. We're born in sin. We're born separated from God. So after we look at the glory of God in his creation, we read his word and we realize, wow, there's a chasm between his holiness and me. And I can't, you know, attend church more, memorize the Bible, do some good things and breach that chasm. He's holy, he's perfect, and I am not. So John writes in 1 John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, so here we are in this light, shouldn't we then be afraid? Shouldn't we be living in fear if we're walking in the light and, oh, He's going to see everything about me? No. We have fellowship with one another. How are we able to walk in this light in the fear of God and not be crushed? Oh, here it is. And the blood of his son, Jesus, his son, cleanses us from not most of our sin, 
but all of our sin. That's how I can walk in the light is because he has cleansed me by his blood. So I don't have to be in fear because he knew knew me when he died for me and he bought me with his blood and his blood is good. And his blood has not just covered my sin, but cleansed me from all my sin. I can walk in fellowship with him. Every man needs to be forgiven. And and Paul writes to the Ephesians in Ephesians 5, 26, that he might sanctify, speaking about Jesus and the, the bride, the church is like a husband to the bride, having cleansed her, how? By the washing of water with the word. It's his word. It washes over us. It washes out the bad thinking. It purifies our minds. It helps strengthen us how we can think properly. Listen, news won't help you in this. Social media feeds will not help you. They'll just occupy space, but they don't help you. They won't do what the word of God does. Every man needs to be forgiven and delivered. The more exposure we have to light leads to more opportunity more opportunity to rightly deal with our sin through confession. You say, well, I've been saved, but what about sin in my life after salvation? Well, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I thought I was cleansed. Why do I need continual cleansing? Peter, the night, John 13. Oh, Lord, you're not gonna wash me. If I don't wash you, you got nothing to do with me. All right, I'll take the shower. I don't need to give you a shower. I don't need to give you a bath. I need to clean your feet. They're dirty. But not all of you are clean, speaking of Judas. Once we've been cleansed by the blood of the lamb, then we live in this process of sanctification and we need a continual cleansing. Where does that come from? There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Cinders plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stain, all of it. It's the same place. It's Jesus. So the psalmist says, I need you to forgive me of the secret sins, but I also need you to keep me from presumptuous sins. Keep me from presumptuous sins. Think about David's sin with Bathsheba. That wasn't a sin that he just stumbled into. It's a sin, a temptation, lust. He stayed looking. He pursued. He sent for her. He called her. She came, and he just went through it presumptuously. It's a willful disobedience. Presumptuous sins are not sins of weakness or surprise. I was overtaken in this sin. No, presumptuous sins are we contemplate. We're faced with, I know this is right. This is wrong, right, wrong, and I'm going to do what's wrong. And the psalmist says, Lord, keep me back from that. Unchecked, presumptuous sin leads to habitual sin and hardened hearts. Sins of pride, so dangerous. So he's saying, Lord, don't let these sins have dominion over me. Do you need that in your life today? Whatever, maybe nobody else knows about what you struggle with, but the Lord knows. Lord, keep me from the sin that I know I'm, I'm just struggle and struggle. Keep me from presumptuous sins. And he says, make me blameless before God and before my fellow man. Then I shall be blameless. Hebrew word is tamam. It means completed, innocent, finished, come to an end. Get me there. Get me to that point. A righteous man or woman of integrity and godliness. How is this going to happen? Well, Jesus says, John 17, 17, sanctify them in your truth. Where do we find truth? Not out in the cave, 
not up on a mountain or on the lake. It's in your word. Your word is truth. And we can take his word to the mountain, to the cave, to the city, to the foreign land. It's truth. That's how we're sanctified. He says, enable me, Lord, to live free from guilt. Maybe you're here today and this is a part of his prayer that it just resonates with you. It's the path of living in a way that's innocent of great transgression. No, no shipwreck of faith and family. Lord, help me to stay on the path. Lord, help me to finish well. Help me not to have a season of wandering from you. Help me to live in freedom from guilt, to live free from guilt and shame. Don't, don't let me buy the lies of Satan, the accuser of the brethren, like you're, worth, you're no good, you're awful. Here's my sin. Run to Christ with that sin. Receive forgiveness and walk in the light. And lastly, in his prayer, let me live a life pleasing to you, Lord. I want to please the Lord. My words, the meditation, my mouth, what you see externally, what only God sees and I know what I think about, the meditation of my heart. Lord, let it all be pleasing to you. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. How is this possible? Because you're my rock. Because you have redeemed me. You are my redeemer. Can you say that today? is very different than I've been through the religious steps. I've been through re the religious system. I've been through all this. I've done this. I try not to do that. I'm trying real hard. Do you know God as your redeemer? Because if, he's, if he has redeemed you, he, you've experienced his love and you love him and you love his word and you love to walk in the light and you love to walk in fellowship with others who encourage you and you can't wait to gather to worship the glory of God. Oh, it's been displayed. It's been declared. How then should we respond? I'm gonna say it again. If you're here without Christ, may your response be, Lord, save me. I'm a sinner. You see my secret sin. You see my rebellious sins. You see it all. And yet I hear this message that you sent Jesus to die for me, a sinner. I need your redeeming work in my life. Save me. If you're here and you know Christ is your savior, allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart and your life. Knowing that God will finish what he started in you, then what changes need to happen in your life according to the word of God? Your relationship with God's word, where is it now and where does it need to go? Don't move past that too quickly. This glory of God, it changes us. It changed David. It's changed you. It is changing you. It will change us. Amen. How do we love and prioritize the word of God? Let's stand together. Father, I just, I take David's prayer and I pray, Lord, that we will respond rightly to your word, to your glory. 
Lord, I pray that you will cleanse me, cleanse us from every secret sin. God, I pray that you will keep us, hold us back, keep me back from presumptuous sins. I pray that you will make me blameless before you and before others, that you will enable us to live freedom in freedom from guilt, and that we will live our lives pleasing to you above all. And I thank you, Lord, for the promise that we have in your word that we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And this all comes from you, Lord. You are the Spirit. The work of the Father, the work of the Son, the work of the Spirit active in our lives that you save sinners and that is glorious, but you're not done yet. And you will complete the work that you began in us and we will see you face to face. And John says, what manner of love is this that we should be called the children of God? And we are the children of God. And we who have this hope, we will purify ourselves just as he is pure. We will be like you one day. So we lean to that day, Lord. We draw near to you. Change us by your spirit and change us by your word into the glorious image of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.